Hey, this is Jeff Pilson, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to the 424th episode of Focus on Metal. And this time, got us something a little bit different for you this week, or at least something we've never done before, and that is that we're going to have two interviews with the same guest done at two different times with about a, a week between the two of them on two totally different topics and even two totally different eras. And you can probably figure out from the ID starting off the show that our guest this week is none other than Jeff Pilson. We've had Jeff on the show a couple times before and very happy to have him back once again. So first up is that Jeff will be talking primarily about the brand new release from The End Machine. That's right. The group that's formed with uh, George Lynch, Robert Mason, Jeff and Mick Brown. And I think, except for Robert Mason, we've had all of those guys on the show at least one time. So first off, Jeff will be talking all about The End Machine, as well as other stuff he's up to with Foreigner, and kind of the the whole modern era of what Jeff is up to, although pretty much an hour-long show just with what Jeff is up to right now would not nearly be enough time to get it all in. But that's the first thing that we've got for you is uh, that interview with Jeff done uh, done by Richie out in Worcester uh, during one of Jeff's tour stops. And from there, we will proceed into uh, interview number two, which, like I said, was done about a week later. And in this case, we're going to be talking to Jeff about the Dokken album, Erase the Slate. And uh, those of you who are regular listeners know that back on episode 408, we actually sat down and talked with Don Dawkins about Erase the Slate. And I know there is still uh, quite a bit of buzz on the uh, intertubes about that one. But this week, we've got uh, Jeff coming on board talking about his reminiscences about the seventh Dawkins studio album release back in the dog days of 1999. So a whole lot of Pilsen this week, and uh, speaking for myself, I think that's a pretty damn fine thing to have on the show. So what about uh, spinning a track from The End Machine, and then we'll go right into Richie's chat with Jeff Pilsen. Walking around and held down 
first question I have, Jeff, is um, you ever heard of a show called Rocktopia? Sounds familiar. Um, it's a classical meets uh, classic rock show, and it has some of the people from Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yes, in it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was here last Saturday, and this girl called Chloe Lowry did "I Want to Know What Love Is." Oh wow! And it was incredible. And I just wow. wanted to know if you ever no, heard boy, of it. I haven't. Yeah, and I haven't heard her name either. So I have heard of Rocktopia, um, and I, pro I probably know people that are in it. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, uh, Tony Bruno's in it, the guitar player. Right. Um, I think he worked for Enrique Iglesias and Rihanna. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's he's he. I met him after the show. He's a great guy. So yeah, yeah. Um, what's the weirdest genre of music you've heard someone cover a foreigner song in? The weirdest genre I've heard somebody call a foreigner song. It's a rap version of a song, foreigner song you've heard, oh, or oh, trash I see metal. What you're oh, oh, uh, I've heard some pretty interesting DJ remixes that that are pretty creative. I mean, you know, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Not yeah. bad. Hmm? Yeah. If you were to do one foreigner song you've never done live, what would you, what one would you pick? Never done live? Yes, never. We've never done. Um, I've live. got one. Okay. Um, I'm spacing on the name of it right now. Um, what's what's yours? The beat of my heart. Okay, Inside that's information. Not, that's not the, yeah. That's, uh, the one I'm thinking of. I'm totally spacing on the name of it right now. What album's it on? I couldn't even tell you. Um, <laughs> it's a cool song, though. Anyway, anyways, but <laughs> yeah, couldn't yeah. tell you from there. So, Joel Lynn Turner a couple of years ago said to me that a project is not a band until it plays live. Would you go along with that? Um, there is a lot of there's a lot of wisdom and truth in that statement. I mean, it doesn't have to be the case, but it's. I would say 99% of the time he's right. Uh, would, would that you was one of the reasons why End Machine wanted to do shows. I mean, just not only to prove that we were real, but to feel real. Yeah, I was going to ask so you. So he's got a point about that. I was going to ask you, would you have been okay if the End Machine had never played a live show and just done the record? Well, of course I'd be okay, but um, it's not my preference. And, you know, we, we had to move things around and, you know, it, it wasn't easy booking shows with all our schedules. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm really glad we made it happen. And I do think it does something, it does something to a band. There is a, an intangible quality that playing live does to a band that I think is important. Mm. How well did you know Robert Mason before you did it? Well, I've known him since he joined Lynch Mob because I was still friends with those guys in those days. So he joined in, I believe, 92, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So I've known him since 92. Um, and, you know, casual acquaintance for years and years and years. But then I did the Warrant record in, I think it was 15, maybe. 20, okay. 2015. And that was the first time I'd really worked intensely with him, you know. And there was a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, just he and I working. And... Um, and I was just really impressed with his work, work ethic and the work he did, and we really hit it off chemically well, you know, in, in our working situation. So, so I would say I knew him pretty well by the time the M machine came along. Mm. Picking the set list for those shows, um, that must have been very tough. Um, I wouldn't say tough, but it was, you know, we had to make choices. You know, how much M Machine do we want to do? How much Doctor do we want to do? How much Lynch Mob do we want to do? I think we found a really nice balance, you know, because we did five new songs from the M Machine. And uh, was it four Dockins and two, three Lynch Mobs? And plus we did Tie Your Mother Down. Hmm. We did two Lynch Mobs and Tie Your Mother Down, which was a Lynch Mob cover. So, 
So it was it was a very very nice cross section. Set worked great. Really pleased by it. So um, I think we did right. Mm. How much rehearsal did you get to do for that? Oh, well, I think it was three days. Oh, you had three days. It might have been three or four days. Yeah. Okay. You didn't do any Lynch Pilson songs from the Wicked no, Underground album. No, that would have that would have felt a li one step removed from. I mean, you know, if you're gonna. If we're going to do something new, I'd rather be off the M Machine record. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, hey, who knows? In future years, we could go deep cuts. I mean, I, we do have a long-term vision for the band, so it's not, it's not a one-shot deal. But that would have felt removed to me for the first time around. Just like, first time around, I didn't want to do Alone Again, you know? Yeah. Um, Robert actually wanted to do Alone Again. Oh, okay. You know? and, and I thought, well, you know, I get how cool it would be for him to do that. I said, but let's not do that first time. Let's, let's, you know, let's, let's be a little more, um, on, on the stuff that we did that was docking, it was more stuff that George and I were more responsible for. Yeah, yeah. We thought that was a little more appropriate. Okay. Um, writing-wise, I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some of them we wrote completely together ourselves. So, um, so that just seemed for a first time out a good way of doing it. Lynch Mob, of course, is open, open season. Um, but we didn't want to do... Oh, I guess we did do three Lynch Mob and Tie Your Mother Down. Um, but that was cool because we got to do Tangled in the Web, which was a George... Yeah. I mean, which was a Robert yeah, Lynch yeah, Mob yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, second album, yeah. And it was really fun to play live, and it's it's really... It, it was really fun to do. Mm. We attempted to do a Dawkins song that you wrote that Don doesn't really play in his version of the band now. Uh, say that again now? Where you attempted to do a Dawkins song that maybe you guys wrote that Don doesn't normally perform now. Oh, um, yes, um, we were, I mean, if there was more time for preparation and, and if we didn't make the choices we made, I would have loved to have done Lightning Strikes again. Yeah. Which, um, is, you know, Don hasn't done that song in years and I don't think any of us have done it since, since the eighties, but that would have been really fun to do. Mm -hmm. That would have been real, I, cause it's a very high energy song. It's a great live track. So we, you know, we were thinking about things like that, not just because Don doesn't do it, but partly, be, but just to bring in something, a little bit of a new flavor. Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, we were tempted to do that. Mm. And whose idea was it to get Will Hunt? Was there any other names on the list besides him? Nope. <laughs> um, his name came up right away as soon as we found out Mick couldn't do it. Um, George and Robert both knew him well, and I don't remember which one said his name, but you know we were on a conference call with the three of us, and um, as soon as they said his name, I, I mean, I'd heard so many wonderful things about him. Never even met him, mm -hmm. but I'd heard a lot of wonderful things about him. And um, and they, they just said, no, no, he's the guy. And I was like, okay, I trust you guys. You know, I just it felt, I mean, it, they, they sold me that hard. And it was a great choice, because he is incredible. Huh. He's incredible. And a great guy, really great to work with. It was, it was really a positive experience, and he was definitely a part of that. Nice, nice. So tell me, how did this Robin McCauley Red Beach project land in your lap? Because I'm sure you've been offered a lot of projects over the years, sure. and you just haven't, you probably don't have time to do them. Well, you, yeah, you've yeah. decided to do I, this one. Well, you know, Frontiers have, have kind of tasked me with, you know, coming up with super groups uh, at times. And um, originally, you know, they had said, what about doing something with Warren Martini?" And... Warren's a friend, and I love him dearly. So we got in touch with each other. He was just not ready to, to do something uh, at that point. 
not I'm not sure if he knows exactly. I mean, he, you know, because he wasn't ready to move, I had to, you know, just, you know. But anyways, we were out with Whitesnake at the time. This was last summer. Yeah. And and I thought, Reb, do something with Reb. Why, you know, that, that would be great. So, um, you know, I, I sat Reb down one day and I, and I remember I said, hey, would you like to do a project together? And he goes, I only have one question. Do we get to write together? I said, yeah, of course. And he goes, I'm in. Wow. <laughs> Before we talk money, anything. <laughs> nice. It was great. Nice. So um, that was just, that was like, it, it just, and then from there, I had always wanted to do something with Robin. Um, I mean, you know, Robin and I have been friends for years. I was best man at his wedding. He's a fellow Irishman. And he's he's yes, actually, know. do you know tomorrow night? He's playing around the corner with really? Shanker, yeah. Well, I know that they're around. I mean, yeah, five minutes, from, five minute walk up the yeah, street. I just got a text from him yesterday, as a matter of fact. Anyway, um, but I love Robin, and I've always thought he was underrated as a vocalist. Oh, yeah. And um, that he's at the peak of his game right now. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's still I mean, great. I mean, he is so great. And I just, I just thought, God, Robin and Reb, that would be stupendous, you know? So... Um, we we made you know I, those two guys got on board, and there was I I won't go into all the details but you know there was we, we had we we had to look around for drummers and we, I mean we had we had a couple of other drummers on deck and it didn't happen for one reason or another, and then Frontiers said, you should call Matt Starr. I was like, okay sure, um, so the fact that Matt came in and did it, Matt came in after it was pretty much all written and recorded. He came in very, very much towards the end, um, which is unfortunate because he's a great singer and I would have loved to have his vocal in there. Mm. But I know that if we ever go to play live, that's going to be the most insane vocal band on the planet. Because <laughs> Reb sings way better than people realize. Oh, Reb's a great singer. Yeah, yeah. So there would be four really strong voices up there. Anyway, um, but uh, so yeah, one, once the Reb and Robin were both in place, it was it was automatic you know the, it, the whole album is recorded it's it has to be mixed and mastered still but um it's it's done it's and it came out phenomenal and it came out every bit as wonderful as i was hoping were you able to get them into your studio yeah or you were able to fly them out and yeah, do, yeah. do it all yeah. as a band yeah wow right. i'm sure that's yeah. one of the things you put your foot down on because a lot of these projects are yeah, kind of emailed and yeah, mailed yeah. in, and the it's hard to get the chemistry. I, I won't. I'll do things separately if need be, but I won't do it by mail. I, that's not. That's not my. I mean, because then I can't do what I do. You know. I mean, I can't. Um, and I'm not a control freak, really. But when I've got a project, um, I can't have a singer just sending in vocals because the vocals have to be right, and they have to be. I'm not saying that somebody couldn't do it on their own, mm -hmm. but I mean. Part of my job as a producer is to have the overall vision, and um, I've had experiences where I've dealt with mail-in vocals that I that came out okay, but I was unhappy. You know, yeah. I mean, I had my reasons for not being it, happy. It's a compromise. It is a compromise. It's and 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 I'm very intent on making records that really feel real and band-like. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really happy with how the M Machine came out in that respect. 
so yeah, I mean, I definitely want people, you know, in my studio, or or at least us together somewhere. I mean, it doesn't have to be my studio, but I got a great studio, so why not? <laughs> mm. Now, what about the ideas? Did you did you get to jam them in the same room, or were they kind of brought in? Uh, on which project? Um, the Rob McCauley Red oh, Beach one. Um, well, basically, we did it very similar to how we did the M Machine, which is uh, Reb and I sat down and wrote the music. He would bring in. He ha he would he would usually we'd start a write you know he'd come for like a week to write, and um, he would bring in, and he'd have whatever ten ideas that he thought well, listen to these, so we'd listen through, one you know kind of and then as as we would pick each one we would then take it and then work on it, and sometimes it was only a little piece sometimes he had a couple of the pieces of the song, um, but. Uh, we would take whatever germ of an idea he had and then finish it off. Um, you know, come up with the arrangement, the other parts, and finish the music, basically. And, mm. and, and it, was, it was great. I mean, it was really, really productive. Um, Reb is such a great, not only guitar player, but musician in general, and yeah. a great writer. Um, so, and you know, uh, any time he felt he had a lag in ideas I could usually come up with something you know that would work so it was it was a really nice collaboration and the music t came together pretty damn quickly and, and easily then Robin we'd send it to Robin and Robin would most of the time come in with a pretty strong piece of music written you know piece of you know lyric and melody written um, and then he and I would, would sit down and work on it and finish it off or, or whatever was needed it was you know each each song was a little bit different you know some of them he he came in and what he had was perfect all the way through didn't have to do a thing others took more work whatever but we would sit down together and do that and then he got go out and record it so it was fresh it was real um uh had a lot of energy mm. and um and he sings his butt off on this record it's, <laughs> it's just it's phenomenal both of them i mean I mean, Reb's always great, so it's kind of hard to say he's greater than ever, you know, but but he he really gets to shine where he should. Um, and but, but Robin is the, I think, is the, the, the person that's going to surprise a lot of people. It's just really strong singing and really great writing. Mm. It, it's one of these projects where you look at Reb. Reb hasn't done a project, I don't think, since The Mob with Doug Pinnock in early mm. 2000s. And Ro I don't think Robin's ever done one. No, and that's what stood out for ones. me. It's like it's got you in it, it's got Robin in it, and Reb. And I'm thinking, Reb hasn't done one for a while. Robin's never done. Matt's done a couple. Yeah, Matt's but, done a but couple. But it does stand out, and that from that viewpoint, yeah, that you've got guys that aren't really known for doing a lot of projects. Right, and 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 I think Frontiers is excited by that, and um, it made those guys. I mean, they, they, we all really enjoyed it, you know, and that, and that's important, enjoying the process. Um, and so, and I think everybody walked away feeling pretty creatively satisfied. Mm. What style of music is it? Or did you go in with a particular style in mind, or did you just write? Um, we just wrote. Uh, I think we all had little ideas. You know, certainly, Reb and I had some ideas coming in, and, and uh, you could tell he had ideas because when he brought in ideas, it was, you know, it's a bit of a white snake vibe to some of it. Um, there's a sometimes there's a Macaulay Shanker vibe to some of it because of, of Robin, mm -hmm. um, but there's moments that are heavier than you'd expect. Um, there's moments that are, and then there's some really melodic moment, a lot of really melodic moments. There's a ballad that is really strong. I mean, it's 
and it's um, it's just a beautifully written piece of music, and it's it's Robin. What he does best to me is is he tells stories. In his yeah, songs. yeah. And um, it's just a great story, and and it's a great ballad. And so to answer your question, it's you know melodic guitar oriented rock, but um, like I say, there's a few moments that are heavier than you'd think. And it's very high energy and very it's it's a pretty high energy record altogether, which might surprise some people. Um, but okay, but it's really really melodic. All right, so far. All right, all right. Thank you so much, no problem, man. Jeff. All right.
we'll get into a race to slate, Jeff, if that's okay. Of course. All right. I got. I got to go back a little bit before then to the to Shadow Life. Um, okay. When you were writing that, you Mick uh, and George, and it was very different sounding. Did you at any stage second guess the direction the music was going in? Um. Well, I would say by by the end, I was more second guessing. At the beginning, no. At the beginning, it was it was feeling more like. Well, first of all. We were thinking modern rock, no question about it. Um, and we were thinking, you know, to try and sort of be with the times a bit. There was definitely some of that thinking going on. But the ironic, <laughs> the ironic thing is that the earlier, the demos that we did uh, in Arizona, um, they were, there was definitely touches of the Shadow Life modern direction in them. But it was actually a little, it was more um, the guitar, it was more of a Dockany guitar sound kind of thing going on. So, um, and the riffs were a little more prevalent. A lot of that changed during the making of the record, and that was just probably just going too far, um, you know, with, with the production side trying to make it, make it too modern. Um, and you know there was there was that, but no. In the early stages, I felt pretty strong about the writing, although I knew we were taking a chance. As I watched the record develop, um, I had a couple different reactions. It's funny because um, Don, when Don started getting involved, he came up with some ideas that I thought were really great, and they were also along the lines of thinking in a modern way, like you know the vocal to puppet on a string, for instance, the opening of the record. It's, it's like, it's, I would never imagine Don coming up with that, but I it was like, wow, that was really cool. He really came up, you know, he really joined the spirit of where we were all going. Um, but then the more we recorded, the more things started kind of falling apart and it became neither fish nor fowl. It was kind of, kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I know Don was definitely second guessing it by the end of the record. I wasn't as, as much second guessing it as just not feeling very satisfied. Um, and, and I did know that we were taking a chance. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't that shocked at the reaction it got, to be honest with you. Um, but in the early days, it was actually, there was some inspiring things about it that, that, um, made me excited. And unfortunately it just didn't get seen through. Hmm. Now, when George left after that album and tour cycle, did him leave and surprise you or did you see it coming? Oh, you could kind of feel it coming. Um, it was, it was, it was not, it was not a great atmosphere on the tour, on the Shadow Life tour. You could just feel it. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was very tense. And, you know, George was in a strange spot. You know, this was, this was like the peak of guitars aren't, you know, shredding guitar is not cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it kind of put him in a spot of like probably feeling, you know, a little irrelevant and not really sure. And you're know, wanting to, wanting to stay current and wanted to, to do what he wanted to do. But, but I think he just felt, um, I, I think he felt like a fish out of water in the whole docking situation. Um, and it just didn't feel great, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, a you know, it didn't feel as good as the tour for dysfunctional. That's oh. for sure. When George left, did you think that, 
the band was done, that you tried the Reformation now and, and your guitar player left and that was it, you go on to something um, else? No, I, I, I kind of didn't, actually. Um, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was bring in John Levin, <laughs> you know, who, who I introduced to Don and actually played on some early demos that we did. And I thought he would be, you know, the perfect guy. And Don didn't want to go for it at that point. Um, but uh, then when Red Beach became available, uh, we knew, oh, this, this is going to be a great record. And <clears throat> Reb joining was going to give us a lot of life. Uh, did, did you know Reb at all from, from the 80s? Sure. Not, not well. By, by no means did I know him very well, but I knew him. Uh, so who told you he was available? Can you remember? I don't. I don't remember at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was. I was thinking that while while I was saying it, I was thinking like, wow, I don't even remember how we found out. <laughs> I I have no memory of of what brought him to us, but um, whatever it was, it was a, a great move. I'm really, real real happy. Yeah. Was there any other guitar players you remember auditioning for the gig? Well, we did some gigs with John Norum, I know, um, and. Uh, John would have been a logical replacement as well. Um, uh, John Levin did do one show with us in the summer of 98. Um, and it was in Texas, in Dallas at the Starplex, I believe. Um, and I don't remember when or where the shows were with John Norum, but um, I mean, I like John a lot. And, and like I say, he would have been a logical replacement. I don't really honestly remember what happened with that whole thing. Um, but then I know, but it wasn't like we, I don't remember audition. No, I guess we did actually audition a few guys. Now that you mention it, we might have, hmm. I don't, I don't have much memory of it, but I kind of remember there was guys that, you know what it was is we were, we had recordings and we had guys coming in, you know, just kind of playing along in the studio. So there were, I guess, some guys that came in and played a bit, but I don't remember much about that. Um, I just remember once Reb came in, it was pretty solidified. Hmm. No. Did the guys that came in have to learn a few of the old Dawkins songs, or did you That's just what I jam? don't remember? I, I don't okay. remember any of that. Okay, I, I I don't think so. Maybe, but I I just don't remember. Okay, so when Reb got the gig, did the four of you guys sit down and and talk about the direction of the next record, or did did you just write songs? Um, there might have been some discussion. Um. I, but if it was, I'm sure it was just along the lines of, no, let's write a great docking record. You know, we, we knew what, what the re reaction had been to Shadow Life, um, and we understood the problems. So um, I think it was, I think we just, let's go, let's write a great docking record. And, you know, Reb was really excited because he was a fan, and he liked that music. And that, that style for him is so natural that it was very, um, very inspiring for him. So then, so we just started working. Mm. Jeff, was there a difference between the way George presented ideas to you guys and the way Reb presented them? Yes and no. Um, I mean, you know, they, they, the two of them operate in some ways very differently, uh, but the working arrangement was almost identical um, in that, you know, when George and I work, um, you know, he, he'll usually just, he doesn't, he very, sometimes he'll come in with a planned idea, but not always. 
a lot of times it's just, you know, maybe, you know, he'll come in and like nowadays, of course, he plays it on his phone. Back then, I guess it would have been a micro cassette or something, you know, a little like, yeah, check this out. You know, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Let's try that. Or, but a lot of times it's just, we get together and, you know, I'll set up a drum machine beat or something and we'll just be talking about some song we like, and then he'll just start playing and come over the riff or I'll, you know, it, it, who knows? There's no, there's no, you know, limit to it. And Reb was kind of the same way. Reb would just, you know, you just start, we'd just start playing and he would come up with something cool and we'd start building a song around it. Um, kind of, kind of the same way. Mm. So you, you worked a lot of these songs up together as a band in the same room, which is maybe a little bit different than the albums in the past. Um, well, it, no, it was actually done almost identically to how most talking <laughs> records have been done. Um, Reb and I would do, you know, the music, most of it, um, you know, probably on a drum machine and, you know, in, in or demo it at my house kind of thing, um, back then. And then, uh, and then we, we, uh, in some cases there was a couple where I think we might've written the lyrics and melodies. Um, I know there were, uh, and then there's a couple where Don did and, um, and I don't think Reb was around for much of when Don was writing. I was probably around for a lot of what Don was writing. You know, he might come in with an idea and then, you know, we'd go from there. Kind of, kind of like I say, kind of like we always do. Just at varying stages. You know, Don will come in with things at varying stages of completion. Sometimes he has a pretty solid idea and sometimes it's real loose and then it develops while we're there, which is, you know, kind of a cool way of doing it. And, um, Mick would have probably learned it after the song was written, uh, but not de- but not recorded. So uh, we did. I know we played live to record the basic tracks. I know that. Hmm. Um, I don't rem- remember how much of that was kept, uh, but um, we definitely had a live feel going on. Hmm. Now, Jeff, I've interviewed Mick, and he's told me that his favorite docking record is Shadow Life. So was he okay with going back to the old? the old traditional docking sound. Well, sure. He, he, he understood, you know, that, that, that was, you know, kind of part of the plan. Um, but, uh, and, and to my knowledge, he really liked what, what we had come up with. Um, uh, so it's funny. I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, Mick, Mick generally doesn't, I mean, Mick will tell you when he likes something and doesn't like it, but he won't like, um, he won't guide the direction necessarily. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Mick, Mick was a, an important writer on Shadow Life. I mean, he had, you know, there was some of the songs started off as demos of just he and I, you know, on Shadow mm-hmm. Life. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't remember any feeling of discomfort like he was being forced into some other direction. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Now, you use Kelly Gray on Shadow Life. Was there any talk of getting in an outside producer for a race to slate, or did you just want to do it in-house? Oh, uh, I think by then we figured, you know what, we know what we're doing. We don't need to bring somebody else in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of been there ever since. <laughs> yeah. So, whose idea was it to get Mick to sing uh, Crazy Mary Goes Round? <laughs> I'm picking your brain here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to give you an honest answer. I don't remember whose idea I was. I mean, it's. I think maybe the melody was there, and it just like sounds like something Mick would do. You know, kind of like it was sort of that sort of thing. Um, 
I believe he had a hand in writing it and in that. And so it probably just sounded like something that would be good for him. And I, I think Dom figured by this point by shadow, uh, by, um, well, cause I had sang a song on shadow life. So I think that I do remember there was kind of the thinking like, well, let's give Vic a song, you know, so that, that kind of thing. Hmm. Was there, now, Rev can sing as well. Was there any, any thought of maybe having Rev sing a song on the record? No. None. Never. Okay, just to play. No, nothing against Reb's voice. It's just that, that would, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, how long had Mick and I been in the band before we got a chance to sing yeah, the song? Yeah, true. <laughs> Listen, I'm even, I'm the type of guy that even though I love to sing, um, I don't want to sing unless it's the right situation. You know what I mean? Because my first thought is a band and a band's image. I mean, you know, there's there's a part of me that loves the whole idea, you know, you know, the Beatles, everybody sang, you know, on every record you had a Ringo song and a couple of George Harrison, you know, and, and there's a part of me that thinks that that's the best way for bands to be. And I love that. But the minute I joined Doc and I knew what Dokken was and, you know, so I would never be comfortable pushing the bounds of that on something like that. Um, and, you know, part of the Dokken brand was the sound of Don's voice. So, you know, I mean, it's like, always seemed a little bit superfluous to me, but you know, to have a, an album cut where somebody else sings, why not? You know, that's kind of where I'm at. Mm. But, but I, li- I like the fact that it happened later on, you know? Yeah, gotcha. So they got, someone called Tom Fletcher mixed this record and you're very savvy now when it comes to knowing your way around the studio. And I'm wondering 20 years ago, would you have been in the position to mix that record yourself or did that happen later on in your career? No, I, I'm, I, I'm still not in the position to mix record I, I i still don't mix my records you know myself i still i mean i've gotten a lot better and my demos are pretty good but um you know there's a reason why i use you know why we've used win davis over the years and why um you know and porter continues to um there's a reason why i use alessandro del vecchio for end machine and we'll be using it with the red beach project coming up uh-huh. um i just don't feel like i'm that level of a mixer um and let's just be honest. I, you know, I, I, mixing is a certain talent that um, I feel other people do better than I do. Okay, so it's not something you've really, really tried to master. It's just like you just leave someone else do it. No, I mean it's it's. I've only gotten better because you know, you know, generally you have to make rough mixes of things. Um, you know, I don't have the time, on, especially these days on the projects that I work on. I very rarely have the time to just spend all kinds of time learning about mixing but because you know when i do the roughs i do try and take some time so i've gotten better but you're right it's not my main priority has been delivering tracks i've gotten pretty good at recording tracks i mean i'll put myself up there with a lot of people with that Uh but mixing no i'm still not there okay now do you actually go when the mixes are being done and sit in the room and listen to them or do you kind of leave the guys just do their own thing well, I sure did for uh, Erase the Slate. I remember that. Okay. Um, yeah, we were, we were, um, and, and I've always been kind of interested in that. That's always been something very interesting to me. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think. Um, no, as far as, um, like, the M-, M Machine record, uh, Alessandro mixed that in Italy, so it was kind of hard for me to go sit in. But what he would do is he would send it to me at various stages, and then once I felt it got to a certain point, then I would bring in Robert and George, and then all three of us would weigh in 
Um, and basically once we had all three of us saying, yeah, that's it. That was a mix. So, um, but I mean, I don't, I don't listen to every little, um, I mean, I'm not there for every step these days. Um, that's one of the luxuries of having somebody else mix it that you trust is that, you know, they'll, they'll get it to a certain point. Um, but I mean, I have to listen to it before, you know, he's not going to send me a, a finished mix and say, this is it. You know? hmm. <laughs> there's, there's generally always some kind of revising going on. And sometimes if I have a real, real vision for something, um, you know, I'll, I'll weigh in pretty heavily. But um, fortunately, with somebody like Alessandro, for example, I mean, he generally surprises me and, and makes me very happy right off the bat. <laughs> hmm. Now, when you went out on tour for Race to Slate, um, how soon into the tour did you know you were going to do a live record? And did you guys have a choice in the venue you were going to record it in? Uh, well, let me see. Um, I don't remember how long it was. I mean, I think it was probably, it was a few months in and um, we were kicking butt, you know, and we thought, wow, this, this is a really good live band. Um, and uh, I, so I guess, you know, the idea of doing a, a, a video and live album came up after a few months, I would assume. Um, and um, as far as the choice of the venue, I remember we had a say in it, but uh, because it was in Los Angeles or near Los Angeles, the sun in Anaheim, um, it, it, it just seemed to be, um, you know, it, it made a lot of sense because back then, it was still a little bit more difficult to get, you know, mobile recording gear than it is today. Uh, so, um, you know, we had, there was a lot of things to consider, you know, the look and everything else. So, um, yeah, we definitely had a say in it. And I think that it was a wise choice of venue. Mm. How tough was it back then, Jeff, in, in 99 to get a run of us shows together? Because everyone says like grunge had killed the, the scene in the early nineties. And, Melodic rock really didn't come back until the early, you know, the mid to the early 2000s. Was, was that tough back then in 99 to, to get shows? And mm, to... No, not for Dokken. I mean, you know, we had to play a lot of clubs. I mean, that was the thing. We, you know, but but Dokken maintained a pretty solid name. I mean, I mean, when I think back of how cheap we were playing, you know, compared to now, I, I kind of have to laugh. But, um, but, uh, but no, it wasn't that tough um, to find shows and, and, you know, to do pretty well in clubs, but, um, it was, you know, it was not, it wasn't headlining arenas. That's for sure. <laughs> mm. were, were you going out even back then uh, on package tours, like two or three bands, or was it just you guys? Well, yeah, you know, the, the whole rat poison thing that, that started at the very late nineties, that was kind of. In, from my memory, that was kind of the introduction of the melodic rock big packages. You know, you'd have Rat and Poison and, you know, whoever else. And then, then the Slaughters and the Wants and everybody else started kind of mm. getting in on that. And so did we. Um, but my memory is, is that, um, that it sort of first happened when Rat and Poison did their tour. I think it was like 97 or 8 or 9, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it was called the Rat Poison Tour, which everybody loved. And, um, it just sort of, uh, I think that's kind of what opened the door. And, and when it did so well, I think that's what's when promoters started saying, wow, these, the audiences for this music are pretty, uh, pretty loyal. So, and then that probably paved the way for the comeback. Hmm. Did, did you notice a, a, an uptake in the European market then that you really had to go outside the U.S. and it maybe surprised you that 
Europe was a, a, a destination for you guys that still had a lot of fans that you might have known about? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember, um, I would, I believe it was 99. Um, we, we wanted to play Wacken because we knew that that was, you know, kind of, we did see the future. Um, you know, I, I remember Don and I talking about that a lot, thinking that, that Europe would be a smart market to go to. And it was a little bit of a struggle because, you know, mostly a, a lot of the American bands at the time didn't want the, didn't want to go to Europe. They, you know, Europe was still kind of a struggle and it was hard to do. You had to, you had to kind of pay your dues. Um, but I remember Don and I talking and saying, no, no, you know what? Europe would be good for us. So I remember it was, it was quite a sacrifice. And I, as I recall, we just went in and out, <laughs> but we wanted to play Wacken and we knew it was going to be important. And, uh, when we did it, you could feel, you could just feel that it was doing something. You know, I, I, I that's one of my favorite things about music when there's like this intangible feeling like something's happening and, us going and playing whack and had that effect to me in 99. It was with Reb. And uh, it was just a really, really good experience. And so to answer your question, um, yes, I think we saw Europe around the horizons as being important. Um, and a lot, a lot of our bands were, a lot of other bands were slow to kind of catch on to that. Uh, but somebody like Bon Jovi, for instance, was way ahead of the curve on that. Uh-huh. And I know he was one of the guys that in our minds, we sort of looked at like, uh, he's smart. He's doing the right thing there. And then sure enough, you know, he's, he's a stadium act over there. Um, so, um, yeah, we were, we were, we were trying to, we were thinking about that market, I think before it really took kind of turned. Yes. Hmm. So, or as it was turning, I should say, because you already did have festivals like Wacken, which were very, or Wacken, sorry, that were very metal, you know, melodic rock kind of oriented. And it was, <clears throat> it was starting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jeff, did Reb leaving the band have anything to do with you leaving? Uh, you just so- said to yourself, um, "I'm not going through this finding another guitar player again. I'm just going to go on to something else." Well, uh, <laughs> I think it was more like my leaving made Reb leave. <laughs> ah. I think, but at least that's what he's told me. Um, yeah, and you know, I just. No, I mean, my reasons for leaving were, were pretty much, I, I just, I had gotten very, very frustrated. Um, you know, I had an opportunity uh, when I did the Rockstar movie, Warner Brothers Records had offered to um, kind of subsidize a tour of ours um, to help promote Rockstar. And they were talking about throwing more money at Dokken than had been thrown at us in a long time. And, you know, mind you, this is 2001. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and and it was just, it, it just seemed like such a golden opportunity. The only thing is it was contingent upon dates. We had to release, we had to be record and, and release a record by a certain date. And Don just didn't want to commit to that. He said he felt, you know, that you, know, you can't rush a great record and all that other stuff, which I understand. But um, I also felt like, well, sometimes you got to <laughs> take opportunity and, you know, do your best and run with it. And, and I felt had we put our nose to the grindstone, we could have come up with a record. Um, and when he didn't want to do that, it, it said a lot to me. I mean, it's no, no secret. Don had some issues that he's dealt with since then. Um, 
and that's, it just made all those things, um, very, very difficult for me. And I just felt it was time to leave. Mm. So how proud are you of the Erase the Slate record? Because at the moment, that's the last docking record, full docking record that you've, you've played on. Right. Uh, very proud. I mean, I, 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 I still think it, uh, I think, I still think it holds up. I mean, I'm, I'm very, uh, I mean, I think there's some really good music on that and I think it's a strong docking record and Don still sounds great. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things about that record. Hmm. So I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And th- I take it the last time you've played any of those songs is that tour. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do you ever go back and listen to any of your old records, Jeff? Or, or are you very, really... very, very rarely? Yeah, I guess. What's what's really funny is, <laughs> you know, my wife has um has uh you know playlists that that do the random thing, you know, and just kind of pops around and stuff. <laughs> and every once in a while, a song will come on. I'll think. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> sure enough, it'll be something I did twenty years ago or something, <laughs> fifteen years ago. Um, I mean, I mean, I've had it where I'm even hearing the guy singing. I'm thinking, oh, well, that's, that's kind of interesting, and, and it's me. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, uh, no, I don't do that a lot. Um, I'll reference things sometimes when I need to. So, Jeff, you've given me more of your time than you know you needed to. Um, I'm hoping to go see you guys in August when you're up here again with Foreigner. So, of course, we'll, we'll always let me let me know, and I'll always take care of you. I Thank know. you, Richie. Yeah. Always a pleasure with yeah. you, man. You're great. Take Thank care, you. Jeff. All right, have a good rest of the Bye-bye. day. Bye. You too. Bye bye.
And that will do it for another episode of Focus on Metal. And big thanks to uh, our always honored and oft-repeated guest, Jeff Pilsen. Always great to have him on the show and looking forward to having him on for, uh, for a long time to come. So what is up for next week, you ask? Well, next week we crash headlong into July. And, you know, July, it's uh, always that uh, summer reading thing, right? And so we thought we would uh, we would get in the summer reading spirit next week and uh, have a couple of authors on as guests. And uh, these are uh, some books that are essentially books of lists of some cool stuff. So it's uh, not a heavy-duty read, stuff you can flip through and enjoy and take your own pace. But that is what is up, as far as I know, right now for next week's episode. And if you're kicking back on that summer vacay and you want to fill your mind with the entirety that is Focus on Metal, then as always, you can go up to our main website, focusonmetal.net. I know a lot of shows out there, they have a whole community thing going on their website, lots of things going on. Not the case here on Focus on Metal. Our main website is pretty much our repository for all the shows. So it's your one-stop shop, easy place to go whenever you want to search back in the archives of Focus on Metal. And uh, that's pretty much uh, what's up there. Otherwise, yeah, we got a couple of little interview things, some pictures, other stuff like that. But that is the intent of FocusOnMetal.net is making it easy for you to get even more Focus on Metal content. And as I always give the old rundown, if you want to uh, catch up with Richie and interact with him, best spot to do that is over on our Facebook page. And I'm always the guy that's manning the Twitter. And occasionally we'll put some news or something else up on our blog, but uh, focusonmetal.blogspot.com is usually just where every week we put the show notes, give you some links, maybe a video from the guests, something like that. Again, that's focusonmetal.blogspot.com. But anyways, for this week, that's it. We're done. Stick a fork in it. Yep, this puppy is indeed roasted. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.